good to hear. All right, I want to start off this morning on a story that I know that you're probably, you've heard before, Lazarus. Yeah, cool, all right, let's go. Every scripture that I read is always from the message translation, so if you're wondering, that's why. So we're going to go over together right now. We're going to start in John 11, 11, 1 through 3, and I'm just going to highlight some of the verses, okay? I'm not going to do every single thing, or we'll be here all morning, okay? So starting off, uh, 11, 1 through 3, a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged Jesus' feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, who was ministering somewhere else, the one who you love so very much is sick. Okay, we're going to skip on down to 14 and 15. And so basically up to this point, they send the word to Jesus, and Jesus is like, okay, it's cool. He's still ministering, though. He doesn't feel a release yet to leave where he is. And so now all of a sudden, he feels a release, okay? And so he tells his disciples, hey, we need to go. We need to go back to Bethany. Uh, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And then the disciples look at him, and they're like, well, if he's asleep, shouldn't we just let him sleep? Because won't you feel better after a good night's rest? We should just let his body heal. And so here in verse 14, Jesus becomes explicit, and he says, listen, Lazarus died, okay? He died, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there because you're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him, okay? Moving on down, 17, when Jesus finally got there, he found that Lazarus had been dead for four days days. Bethany near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, many of the Jews were already visiting Martha and Mary, and they were sympathizing with them over their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to greet him. Mary remained in the house. So what happens after this is that Martha runs up to Jesus, and she says, Master, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He wouldn't be dead. And then Jesus, verse 23, looks at her and says, your brother will be raised up. Okay? And Martha's like, yeah, I know. He'll be raised up in the resurrection of the end time. And Jesus just kind of looks at her. So then we move on down to verse 33. Okay? Before this happens, then Mary, when she finally goes approach Jesus, she says the same thing. But, Master, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he just kind of looks at her. So then we move on down to verse 33. When Jesus saw her sobbing, talking about Mary, and the Jews that were sobbing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he said, where did you put him? Going on down to 38. When Jesus arrived at the tomb, it was a simple cave in a hillside with a slab of stone that just kind of laid up against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha <laughs> looks at him and says, but master, by this time, surely there is a stench. He's been dead for four days. Just wanted to remind you, you should have been here. Okay. All right. Okay. So, but then Jesus looks her in the eye, and he says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So then he says to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes up to heaven, and he prayed, Father, I am grateful that you have listened to me. I know that you always do listen, but on the account of this crowd standing here, I have spoken so that they might actually believe that you sent me. And then he shouted out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. And he came out. A cadaver, a body, wrapped from head to toe with a handkerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Let him loose. Jesus, we just thank you for what's already happened this morning. Open their ears, 
open their hearts. Speak through me. Amen. I want to take a few moments to draw a few observations that I have found throughout this story that I want to share with you. And also, I want to parallel Lazarus to us. Okay? And then I'm going to give you a few little action steps that can help you this morning as you are continuing to go on your journey and how your story is being written still, okay? So the first observation that I want to make is, is this. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. That's the first thing. Lazarus was indeed a friend of Jesus. He and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they were friends with Jesus, okay? It's the same one, again, who washed Jesus' hands uh, feet with her hair. Uh, there were times where Jesus and his disciples would go over to Lazarus' house and they would just hang out. <laughs> just kick it, small group time. You know, they were just having a good time. Uh, you know, Lazarus loved Jesus. Lazarus believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Lazarus was in a relationship with Jesus. And in this passage, whenever Mary and Martha sent the messenger to tell Jesus that Lazarus was dead, even the messenger says, hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. Your friend is sick. The one that you love so very much is ill. And, and as I was reading this, I couldn't help but notice this, and this just kind of jumped out at me, that we, we can know Jesus. We can be in a relationship with Jesus. We can know that he's the Messiah, that he died and rose again, and that we have the promise of having eternity with him in heaven. We can know him, and yet we can still be ill. We can still be spiritually sick. Does that make sense? See, whenever we accepted Jesus into our heart, that didn't guarantee us a clean bill of spiritual health until the day we die and we're in heaven with him. No. When we accepted Jesus into our heart, all that did was give us the opportunity to live more like Jesus every day. We alone are responsible for the condition of our spiritual health, not Jesus. He's just going to go through it with us, okay? And I think that's so important to understand that we can call ourselves Christians. We can go to church every Sunday. We can be involved in small group, whatever. However, inside, we can still be sick. Our mind can be toxic from the things that we choose to rehearse over and over and over and over again. Okay? Your heart can be broken because you've refused up to this point, because today is a new day, to allow the brokenness and the anger and the bitterness to stay there. Okay? You can literally, as I said last night, your tongue can be speaking death all around you, okay? If it is not disciplined, and if you are not held accountable, if your tongue is not accountable for its own words, we can be sick. And I know that um, I, I want to read this part onto the story where it talks about um, Lazarus' illness, okay? That first of all, his, his illness does, in fact, lead him to death. I think that's an important observation also for you to understand, which leads me to the number two part. Lazarus was, in fact, dead. Lazarus dies. Okay, so that's observation number two. Verse 14 through 15, Jesus becomes explicit, Lazarus is dead. You know, and I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there because now you're going to be given new grounds for believing. Then all of a sudden, 1720, when Jesus finally gets there, he finds out his body has been dead. His body has been there for four days. Dead. Okay, Martha, Master, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Mary, Master, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Lazarus was, in fact, dead. There's no getting around that. The scripture says the man was dead. Okay, his illness led him to death. Now, the truth is that, again, some of us in this room aren't too far different than Lazarus. Yes, you're sitting here, and you look very beautiful today, and you're breathing, and you're talking, and you enjoyed this amazing worship today. And for all practical purposes, you are alive, but inside, you're dead. Ouch. 
yeah, that's how I felt when I wrote it. <laughs> you know, you're in fact dead, okay? And so some of you, you might have even felt like David did whenever in, in Psalm 62, whenever David says, you God, you God are my God and earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, I am in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Some of you are in the middle of the desert right now with your relationship with the Lord, okay? Some of you feel so dry and you feel like there's nothing near you or that there's not anything that could possibly quench your thirst. Some of you are so consumed with the disappointments of your life, up to your story at this point, that the circumstances are constantly in the forefront of your mind as you try to process and make day-to-day -day decisions. That thing, whatever it is, is stuck right here, and you function through that thing every day. Is this making sense to anybody? Okay. For some of you, it's your relationships. Your loved ones are estranged. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe it was a relationship that you genuinely believed in and it turned out to be something that it wasn't. For some of you, it could be the disappointments that you've had. Maybe it was a miscarriage. It was an abortion, a failed adoption. Maybe you had some sort of an expectation and a hope or a belief in someone and they just absolutely crushed it. Things like that happen. For some of you, it could be your own failures, okay? It could be something that you know you messed up big time, okay? And, and you can't seem to get past the fact of what you chose to do and how that mess up cost you so much. And as you try to function in life, that failure is just right in front of you the whole time. And that's all you see. And you go through this day-to-day -day thing feeling like a failure. I told you this morning was going to be different than last night. <laughs> okay? What, what is really sad for some of you is that you have lived with this feeling for so long that it has literally swallowed you up. You've consumed it. It's become a part of your DNA. You're so used to it now. Well, it is what it is. How many have ever said that before? It's a piece of you now. It's become a part of you. And some of you... Here's the thing, <laughs> some of you know that it's unhealthy. Some of you are fully aware of the condition of your spirit right now, the condition of your heart, and you think to yourself, okay, tomorrow I will deal with this. Tomorrow I'm gonna find accountability. Tomorrow I'm gonna make an appointment with a counselor. Tomorrow I'm gonna sit them down and tell them I forgive them and tell them what's been in my heart. Tomorrow I'm going to change this. And then tomorrow comes and you're weary. You're still tired. You're still living with that lens of hopelessness. And you think, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And so you go back into the same thing and the others of you have been doing this for so long that you've just become numb. You're just numb to it now. And you have that feeling of hopelessness. It has settled, and now you are in a state of spiritual rigor mortis. Does that make sense? So you go about life functioning as if you're alive, functioning as if you're fine, but inside you're just dead. Wow. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Woo, I love everybody in here. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So, in fact, some of you, some of you are so dead, you're decaying. Some of you give off a stench when you come around people. And you don't even know it. It's the stench of your negative attitude. If you can't be happy, then why should they be happy? You don't even realize that you're doing it. You're so unhealthy. 
And I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what, what, um, what, what, what went wrong. But what I do know is that there's some of you in this room today that you're living a life right now that feels like there's no purpose. You have no drive. You feel like there's been no intentionality. And you have no hunger. And you literally are living life as a shell of a human being. And that's where Lazarus was in his world at that moment. He was a shell. He was dead. But here's the key. Here's what I want you to know, okay? You need to acknowledge this because if this is where you are right now, guess what? You can move forward. You can wake up today because Jesus is here and he is ready to give you a new life again. In Romans 5, 21, 22, listen to this promise. This is what it says, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace, right? When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down every time. And all sin can do is threaten us with death. That's it. That's all that it can do because grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah. It invites us back into life, a life that goes on and on and on without world's end. You know, so this is the beautiful nature of God's grace that he can look at your life. He can look at your brokenness. He can look at the situations, your failures, your disappointments, all of that. And he says, you know what? Jesus is still going to die for that. Jesus still died for it, and he still rose up again for that because he loves you, and he did it so that one day we could all be together in heaven. But here on earth, you can be literally raised up into a new life until we're with him in heaven again. Isn't that amazing to me? So I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what the story of your life has looked like up to this point. Because you're not too far gone for God. You're not. And he can still use the rest of your chapters to turn something beautiful, beautiful into your story. He can do it. Your days aren't numbered. This is not the end. These are just the days of your beginning. Okay? Because you are in the presence of the miracle worker. I know that you felt God's presence this morning when we were having worship. He is here. It is so real. It is so tangible. He knew this conference was happening. He intended to be here. He knew you were going to be here. And he says, my daughter is coming today. She's been dead, but I'm calling her out of her tomb today. It is time for her to wake up. Daughter, come forth. Daughter, come out. Today is your day for everything to change because you can have a life that is healthy and that is full and filled with purpose. I want you to see what the scripture says, going back to Lazarus and John. And it says that when he said this with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What happened? The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and he had a cloth over his face. Listen, if you're ready to come out of your tomb, I'm going to tell you what you can do, what your first step is going to be if you're ready to come out of your tomb, okay? The first step of action that you need to take, if you're ready, is you've got to tell your heart to beat again. You've got to restart your heart, okay? You've got to reset it. You gotta reset it. We all have to learn to take a closer look at our heart. We have to examine it. We gotta see what's weighing it down, and then we've gotta notice what's filling it back up, right? We've gotta know what's happening. We've gotta refocus, we gotta repent, and then we gotta restart it onto a healthy course again. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Because listen, for everything you do flows from it. What's in your heart? Everything flows from it. I want you to look also what Paul says. Paul is writing a letter to the church of Corinth, okay? Going on to 2 Corinthians 8.10. And he's writing a letter to the church, basically just encouraging them, saying, hey, don't be weary in your well-doing, okay? So he's telling them, giving them advice and things like that. And here's what 
Paul says. He says, so here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started, okay? Finish what you started last year, and don't let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got, a, you've got what it takes to finish it up, so just go to it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can and not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. Paul said that your heart regulates your hands. Okay? There's a connection here. What Paul is saying is there's an actual spiritual connection between what's in your heart and what's done in your hands. He's saying that the two are connected. Later on, he goes on farther to say for a few scriptures down. This is where he starts talking about being a cheerful giver, where he tells them, look, I want you to make up in your mind in advance when you start taking up an offering what you're going to give. Decide in your heart earlier before you give. Okay? I don't want you to give because people expect you to give. I want you to make the decision in advance. Because if you make the decision in advance, you'll be a cheerful giver. You'll be a happy giver. Okay? And it's not a big deal because you've already made the choice in your heart to do it. Okay? So there's this connection, hands and the heart. And here's the deal. There's such a connection that if something were to happen, and there was a disconnect, or if there was a severance between the heart and the hand, one of the two is up for attack. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, I'm, I'm going to try it this way. I think maybe this will help you a little bit more. I want you to imagine that this air mattress is your heart. Okay? I brought this from home. I'm trying, no. Excuse me. One moment, please. Yeah, I think it's blowing up. Yes, it is. So this is your heart, okay? The moment that you accepted God into your heart, he began filling up your heart. You started having joy and excitement about things, right? He started giving you this passion for life, this zeal for life, okay? He started, you started feeling good. You got into worship. Worship feels good. Worship makes your heart beat faster. Worship makes your, you, it fills you up. It pumps you up. You decide, okay, I'm going to join a small group, small group where you're, you're connected with like-minded believers, and they're pouring into you, and you're encouraging one another, and your heart gets full. It gets excited, right? It's pumped up. It's getting full of the presence of God, talking to him daily, praying with him daily, writing in your journal to him daily. All of these different things fill up your heart, and you get happy, right? You feel good because you're one. Okay, and so then you start thinking, life is so fantastic, and this is where I'm going to need some of my helpers to come up here. If you guys, come on, you know who you are at this table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bring forward. Okay, I want you all to come over here, and when I tell you to, did I do that? I hope I did. We'll find out soon. So your heart's full. Your heart's full. You meet a guy. Okay? Oh, I love him. Yes, I will marry you because your heart is full. You're the husband. Just have a seat on the air mattress. Okay? So then you find, you, you start thinking, yes, I want to start a family. This sounds like so much fun. So then you guys get pregnant or you adopt. And then you have all these little kids. And then these kids come. And you're like, this is so cool. And then you say, oh, that can't stop here. I think I could go for that promotion. I think I could work hard enough and earn that on my job. So I'm going to go get that. And then you come and sit down over here because now you're the job that we fought so hard to get, right? Because the more that our hands, our heart is full, the more we start taking into our hands, the more we start adding into our life. Oh, I feel like I could do more. I'm going to serve at church. What team can I sign up for? Okay, so then you come and you start 
serving on the greeting team, I don't know, the worship team, whatever. And life is so fun and it's so exciting, okay? And then you say, I can join a connect group. I can join a small group. I want to make a difference. And so you start coming over here. And as you get excited, again, you take things on into your hands, okay? You take... You take things on into your life, okay? And then all of a sudden, here's the deal. You have all of these responsibilities that you invited into your life. And these responsibilities don't just go away. They're there to stay. Because here's, here's the deal. You, you have that responsibility to keep the presence of God in your heart. You have that responsibility to stay in his presence. And then you're taking these things on. In the beginning, it was with great joy, but now it's just weighing you down, okay? And underneath this thing that you have created, all right, you created this. Now, what was once such a happy, exciting, thrilling thing, now it's just stressful. Now it's just exhausting. Oh my God, I said I'd sign up. I got it's my turn to serve again already. <laughs> I've fought it too. <laughs> you know? And here's the deal you can't get rid of your kids because they're your kids. <laughs> okay. You can't get rid of your husband because it's your husband. Though I will say, some women do get rid of their husbands for this very purpose. All right? You can't get rid of that job, that promotion that you wanted so badly because you worked so hard to get it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you understand? You're weary. You get angry. And this is the thing. You start to feel used. If we don't have God filling up our heart, if we're not praying, if we're not going into worship, if we're not spending time with him, if we're not reading the word, all of a sudden... Our heart is on empty, and there's so much in our hands. Does this make sense? You guys can go. Thank you so much. So, in reality, if this is your heart and the state that it's in right now, it's no wonder why you get ticked off every now and then. It's no wonder why you have less patience. It's no wonder why it's harder for you to forgive people. It's no wonder why it's easier for you to slip into bitterness and those things can get, just get hidden and stuck into your heart. Because the thing is, the people and the commitments that you took on aren't the problem. None of that stuff was the problem. The problem is your heart. So the question that I have for you this morning is, are your hands fuller than your heart? And you're the only one that can answer that today. Okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I'm trying to explain to you why some of you are fighting so much with your husbands. I'm trying to explain to you why some of you can't stand to be around your kids right now. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, I just need to go away to a hotel room, kind of thing. <laughs> I get it. Your hands are fuller than your heart. You've got to be responsible for what's in it. Get back to it. Refocus. Restart. Tell your heart to beat again. Because here's the other thing that I think that you need to know. How many of you know that when you're weary, when you're tired, that's the moment the enemy loves to strike the best? Your guard is down. You're already feeling like a victim. This is perfect opportunity. And so that's whenever things start to happen, okay? So if your guard is down, then that's whenever we can start making our moral failures. We start making really bad choices, okay? That's where we reach for the prescription drugs. That's wherever we reach out and we have an affair. That's where we reach out to pornography. That's when these things happen because our guard is down and we are looking for something and anything to distract us from our pain, even if it's just temporary. 
But then that begins the cycle. Because once you do it, then you feel bad about it. And then you shame yourself for it. And it's this never-ending cycle, then all it does is just kick your heart around like it's nothing. You're beating up your heart, and you don't even know that that's what you're doing. We've got to reset our heart, fill it back up, fill it back up with the presence of God. All right, I'm moving on. Third observation that I would like to make about Lazarus, okay? Lazarus' miracle didn't eliminate the mess, okay? Lazarus' miracle didn't eliminate the mess. It's so important because I want you to notice that even though Lazarus was alive, when he came out, there still was a stench. There still was a smell, okay? And so many people think that when you say yes to Jesus, that life is just going to be awesome. It's going to be so much better and that you step into this new life and it's just full of happiness, all right? But that's just not true. It's just not the truth. Okay? Because even though Lazarus was alive, he still stunk. Martha was very concerned about it. He still stunk. And so I want you to notice something. It wasn't his new life that was causing the stench. It was the bandages and the grave clothes from his old life that was causing the smell. Okay? So many Christians think that whenever you step into a new life with Christ, you can just do it and move forward, but they're still trying to do it while they're wearing yesterday's grave clothes. Okay? And I'm here to tell you that as long as you still have yesterday on, you're not going to be able to breathe the fresh air of your today or of your tomorrow. You're going to get stuck in that nastiness that you were in before. All right, you have to settle your yesterdays once and for all. You have to settle the mess. And I wish I could tell you that this is easy, but honestly, it's just not. And I know that you hear me talk a lot about purpose, 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 find your purpose. You can do this, da, da, da. But the reality is only about 87% of Christians actually find their purpose and live in it. And I believe the reason why that is is because there are too many people who will not step into their purpose because they are afraid to settle their past. There are so many people living out their past because their past is just too painful to look at again, to admit it, to deal with it. But I'm here to tell you that you have to settle it. You can't move forward if you don't. You have to settle it. So that you think that that moment that you step out of your old life, that you're just instantly free, right? You step to Jesus and you're just free. But the truth is that you can be free, but your body, your mind can still be in bondage. Does that make sense to anybody? It's like the same thing as like a prisoner who's been in prison for a while and whenever he gets out, he's got to do some kind of rehabilitation program because he's got to train the way that his mind thinks. Okay? It's the same story for the Israelites. Whenever God left them out of Egypt, okay, God takes them, he goes up to a mountain, and he creates a hundred, no, 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 613 laws. <laughs> so many rules. Okay? 613 laws and commandments for, for the Israelites to follow. And some people will say that that's because God is about rules and regulations. That's not why he did it. God did it because he knew that these people had to stop thinking as slaves because they had been in bondage so long, okay? He did it because even though they had left Egypt, Egypt hadn't left them yet. That's why when Moses goes up to the mountain, they started making idols the moment he walked away, okay? Just because you're alive doesn't mean that you aren't still bound. And so the natural question that you want to be asking is, okay, cool, sweet, Kendra, thanks. Now, how do I find freedom? How do I do that? How do I remove the grave clothes from my body? I'm going to tell you what James says to do. James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He doesn't say confess to God. He says confess to one another. Confess to one another. And that's because it has always been God's plan that healing and freedom would come through relationship with others. Always. So that's your next step of action. To help eliminate the mess, you have to open yourself up to others. And some of you wanted to run out of the room right when I said that. Come back. It's okay. Sit down and enjoy this with us today. It's okay to open yourself up with others. I want you to look at what, what Jesus says back talking about Lazarus in John eleven forty four. It says, the dead man came out, his hands wrapped in feet, you know, with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, not him, to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't tell Lazarus to take off his own grave clothes? No. He told them to do it. He told them to do it because we were never, never meant to do life alone. We weren't. And if we choose to surrender ourselves to God, I promise you he will put the right people beside you. He will put the right people into your life that will encourage you, speak life into you, give wisdom, comfort you, help guide you down this road, and create a safe place for restoration in your life. He will do that for you. And so we will struggle if we try to remove our own grave clothes in our isolation. In fact, we just won't be able to do it, I don't think. Okay? We must live in community. We have to live with like-minded believers, and relationships is the key. Being vulnerable is the key. Because the biggest trick of the enemy, I think, is that he wants you to be in isolation. He wants you to think no one will ever understand. No one could possibly comprehend why you would choose that sin. No one could ever understand how you, you don't look like a person that would do this. They would never expect that from you. You can't tell anybody about that. He wants you to keep it in the dark. In the dark. To hide it. Conceal it. Don't let anyone know. This is what's really going on. If people knew what you were like behind closed doors, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. That's his lie. That is the biggest lie from him. Instead, God wants you to bring it out into the light. Into the light. Because only whenever you confess it and you throw it out there, then can true healing begin then can real accountability, righteous accountability, begin in your life. And you can start afresh and breathe in that fresh air of a new life and leave yesterday as yesterday. Okay? The fourth observation that I want to make about Lazarus and his story is this. Lazarus' story helped others find faith. It's true. A lot of people think that the story ends when Lazarus comes out of the tomb. But if you keep reading, just in turn over a few more chapters over to John 12, you'll see that six days later, Jesus is in Lazarus' home. And the Jews hear that Jesus is there. And so, and they're all just hanging out with Martha and Mary. The gang is back together again. Woohoo! You know, having some hummus kind of things, some pita bread, you know, and just living it up, new wine. They're just having a great time. Okay? And the Jews find out that Jesus is here. And I want you to see this is the part that kind of left off the page for me John 12, 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews find out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, <clears throat> whom he raised from the dead. I love this. So Jesus is there doing his thing, and all these people show up. Because, yeah, obviously they want to see Jesus, of course. But also, they wanted to see Lazarus. 
They had to see Lazarus. They must come and see Lazarus and what Jesus did. Now, why do you think that they would want to see Lazarus? Because they heard the story. They heard the story. They had to see it for themselves. They had to let it, like they had to actually witness it. And that's your next action in life. Your next step to move out of your tomb is this. Let your life become a story that others can read. Expose it. Share it. Let other people see it and witness it. Tell them about it. People wanted to see the proof that Lazarus was alive because the proof is in the pudding, as they say, right? They had to experience it. They had to see it. You should never, ever be ashamed of your story because you should never be ashamed of your God. You have a purpose. He's in it, walking this life out with you the whole time. Don't be ashamed of your story. Don't be ashamed of where you've been. It's just another glorious testimony about how amazing and how faithful our God is. Okay? Your testimony is the most powerful tool that God can use to show off his mercy, his grace, his love, his faithfulness, and his miracles. It's you. Your story. You're the most powerful thing that God can use to show people how amazing he is. You can give hope to people who honestly wouldn't have had any kind of understanding or comprehension of it until they saw it happen in your life. Right? They want to see it. So I want to to share it to you uh, another way. Think of it like this. Here's a different story in the Bible. And this one is in John uh, 1, 45 through 46. This is the time where Jesus is calling his disciples. Like he's picking them out. Okay? And he's wanting them to come together. And he says, um, he, he meets up with Philip. Okay, and so he asks Philip, and there's this whole passage you can read about it. This is what I want you to focus on. In verse 45, Philip, um, so Jesus says, Philip, I want you to come. I want you to be one of my disciples, da, da, da. So Philip has a friend named Nathaniel. So Philip is super excited about it. Why? Because he's got a full heart. And so he wants to go and find Nathaniel and tell Nathaniel about Jesus. Okay, so this is where we pick up in verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel, and he told them, we found the one. The one that Moses wrote about in the law, but whom the prophets also wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And he's so excited. In other words, he's saying, hey, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the Messiah. <laughs> he's real, and we're here to witness it. He's, so, he's real. I want you to come. I want you to, like, hey, 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 he's here. And I want you to see what Nathaniel says in response. Nazareth. You've got to be kidding. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He's sitting here going, what? You don't know her. You don't know that she used to be a stripper. You don't know that they used to be divorced. Have you seen the way this woman acts with her kids around? I mean, trust me, nothing good can come out of any of this. You have no, those people, they, they don't know how to spend their money. Please, please, you expect me to believe that this is something that God can do something with? Please, I know way more about it than you do. Nazareth? Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And yet look at what Philip says to him. So simple. He could have told him, no, 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 no. <clears throat> this is what happened when I met him. He could have told him about his encounter. He could have told him about what was said. He could have told him about his own experience with Jesus, blah, blah, blah. But instead, he looks at Nathaniel and he simply says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. You be the judge. Come and see. Come and see. Because you see, Philip was smart. He knew something very powerful. He knew that a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with a sound judgment or sound argument. He knew that an experience trumps everything. Everything. It doesn't matter what these statistics say. It doesn't matter. Your experience with God trumps all of it. Okay? And so last night, 
I could have talked about a lot of different things with you, but I chose to share my story with you last night, okay? Because my story is the most powerful thing that I have. It's the most powerful thing because it's the evidence of what God has done. I'm just walking proof. Some of you are walking proof. And some of you are about to be walking proof of the goodness of God. So I want to tell you that when you ask God to bring you back to life, and he will, if you ask, you've got to get in relationships with other people to help you take off those gross, dirty, nasty, smelling, brave clothes. You've got to do that. And when they start falling off, because they will, you will have the most powerful thing that Jesus could have ever given you aside from his Holy Spirit. And that is your story and how it fits into his. Okay? All right. Jesus. I wonder, I didn't plan this, but I know that you guys were given a journal or a notebook last night when y'all came here. Speak from your Holy Spirit. Um, I think it would be good for some of you to pull that journal out. And what is that thing that you're so afraid of? What is that one thing that is keeping your grave clothes on you because you're so afraid to expose it? What is that thing? And I want you to write it down in that journal. I'm not asking you to pass it around the room. Don't worry. I'm not asking for that. But I want you to write it down because that's the first step that you need to take to removing it from your life. It's to just, in a way, say it out loud, but write it down. Okay? So I just want to give you a few minutes to do that real quick. So pull out a piece of paper and, and write it down. one thing that the devil has tricked you into saying if people knew this about you they would never accept you if people knew that this was your go-to when things get hard they would never want you to be around what is that one thing that you continue to keep in the forefront of your mind to where that's all you can think about and it affects all the decisions. It's your filter for life. It affects your decisions. And it keeps you from pushing forward, moving forward into life. That thing, that gross thing, that sad thing, that disappointing thing, that humiliating And if it's a piece of paper, you can rip it out, fold it up. If it's in your journal and you want to keep it there, then just close the journal. People don't need to see it because God will tell you who to tell this to, okay? I'm not saying that you all just need to run out of the room right now and say, that's not what I'm saying. But again, when you truly surrender things, God will put the right people in your world, in your circle to help you, okay? I want you to take that journal. You can pull the music back up. Thank you, sir. And um, close it, fold it, rip it up, whatever you want to do. And I want you to take it into your hand. Because I'm a physical person. Like, I like objects. So a lot of times, like, I always have lip gloss. I can't help it. i got big teeth, mouth gets dry. There you go. So I use my lip gloss. And I want you to hold it in your hands. 
And I want you to say, Jesus, you know this about me. I'm not fooling you. And I'm so tired of the weight of this in my life. I'm so tired of it consuming me and, 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 and that's all I think about. I'm just so tired of it being the it. I'm tired of it being the thing. I'm tired of it. Now I want you to take that in your hand. I want you to stretch it out. And I just want you to say, and God, I give it to you. I surrender this to you. I don't want to carry this anymore. I just give it to you. So you take it because you already know about it and do whatever you can with this and help bring fullness and wholeness and health into my life. Help me, Lord, come out of my tomb. Help me breathe your fresh air of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm really proud of you for doing that, because for some of you that was very difficult to do. So I just wanted to say I'm proud. And always be open and be vulnerable and willing to see what God is going to do in your life. Don't be closed-minded. And that's a word for someone here. You need to stop being closed-minded about some of your family members, too. Don't know where that just came from. But you've written some people off. You need to speak life over them. Forgive them. Keep speaking life over and over and over. Do not be closed-minded to what God can do. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you.